0: You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'll bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thanks, Carl.
1: Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much uh, that you are a God who is forgiving and gracious and uh, Lord, uh, we pray that as we reflect on that truth this morning, that you would press... To our hearts uh, the reality of who we are as we stand before you uh, in ourselves apart from Christ uh, and that you would also uh, press to our hearts uh, the great grace uh, of the Lord Jesus and his death death for sins on the cross Lord uh, grant that all of us might receive that and find assurance and, uh, tr- and confidence before you in that Lord we ask it for Jesus sake amen Uh, I wonder if you've ever been stuck in a position, uh, stuck in a place uh, that you couldn't get out of it, stuck in a a situation that you couldn't get back from. Um, One of my worst nightmares, we seem to be thinking a lot about my worst nightmares recently, but uh, another one of my worst nightmares uh, is, is, is is crawling through a cave and getting stuck and not being able to kind of get forward or get back. I just or well, there's a few few people i can see just having a moment to themselves imagining that um i just can't think of anything worse you might remember um, last year or a couple of years ago i think now that that uh, thai cave drama where those kids they'd gone into that cave uh, the, the soccer team uh, and they got caught and for a moment there it looked as though they wouldn't be able to get them out and it was this extraordinary rescue operation never before attempted Uh, they didn't think that it would work they thought that they would all die but uh, but they managed to get them all out safely remarkable uh, remarkable achievement but imagine what it would be like to be stuck there in that cave and and thinking I can't get out of here Uh, those things always seems to happen in movies you know someone walks through a doorway and the rocks come tumbling around after them and and they have to try and work out a way to get out but in the movies it always works doesn't it But in life, it doesn't always work. It doesn't uh, always work in physical situations. It often doesn't work as well in relationships. We can end up in a situation in a relationship where the relationship goes to custard and we don't feel like there's any way back from that. And really, that's what the Bible has to say about our relationship with God. We're stuck in this situation with God. Our relationship with Him uh, has caved in. Uh, and we're trapped, we're far away from God, and we need something extraordinary, we need a superhuman effort to rescue us and to make things right between us and God. And that's what this psalm that we're looking at this morning is all about. The psalm begins by identifying the problem. What's the problem? Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my sin and cleanse me from my iniquity. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David, the writer of this psalm, one of the kings of God's people, uh, a, number, a few thousand years ago, David is overwhelmed by his sin. He's overwhelmed by uh, what he has done against God. The context uh, from which David is writing these words is given there in the, the heading of the psalm. We're told this is a psalm of David. Uh, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, I don't know if you know the story, but uh, it's recorded in the Bible, in the book of 2 Samuel, you can uh, look it up later if you would like. David is the king, he's married, uh, and Bathsheba is married, and they're not married to each other. But one day, David sees Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop, uh, naked, and he says to his servants, go and get that woman, Uh, and uh, she comes back, she's brought back, he sleeps with her, she gets pregnant, uh, and he tries to cover it up, her husband's away on the battlefield, he tries to get him back, it's a a great mess, in the end, uh, he ends up having uh, her husband killed off. It's an extraordinary tale of, of great evil, imagine if one of our political leaders did something like that. Now, think of the outcry uh, against uh, some of our world political leaders uh, for the things that they've done. They, they almost pale into, into insignificance in comparison to this evil of David. And yet David can say here in this psalm to God, against you, you only, have I sinned. That seems an extraordinary thing to say, uh, given that uh, David dragged Bathsheba into bed killed her husband, uh, he's dishonoured uh, the, the nation, he's, he's abandoned his responsibility to protect the people under his care. Surely David has sinned against them as well. And the answer is, of course, David did sin against those people too, but what David is emphasising here is just how evil our sin is against God. The offence against Bathsheba and her husband was huge, it was monumental. You know, it's worse, probably, than we can possibly remember in living memory from one of our political leaders. But David says, in comparison to that, the offence against God is astronomical, it's out of this world. It's terrible what David has done to Bathsheba and to her husband, but what he's done to God is far worse When we sin and when we hurt others, when we hurt ourselves or or damage God's world, the most offended party is always God. Why is that? It's because it's God who made us. It's God who made us not to live like that. It's God who made us in His image and we choose instead to, to break that image, to distort and destroy that image and to live in the way that we want. It's God who made those other people whom we sin against. It's God who loves them and who made them to be protected and cared for. And when we sin against them, we, we desecrate God's image in them as well. And when we sin against the world, we, when we destroy the world, we sin against God because it's God who's made the world. He's made it for us to preserve and to protect and to sustain. And when we rape and pillage it and and abuse it and do with it whatever we want, we not only destroy it and damage it, but we sin against our God who made, made it and made us to protect it. David knows that in this sin, the most offended party is God, God most of all. But David's not only troubled by that one incident. David says his sin is everywhere. Every, everywhere he looks, that's all he can see. Now the problem permeates his entire life. Look at verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb, even the, from the beginning of life. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David says that that sin, this rebellion against God, this This rejection of God has been part of him from the very first moments of his life, from the moment he was born, but even before that. Even when he was in his mother's womb, the seed of that rejection against God was there. From the beginning, even, God's ways were known to him and planted in him in some mysterious way, but even from within the womb, he could reject those. And of course, we see that reality played out in our world and in our experience. Uh, No one needs to teach us to reject God. We don't need to go to classes to do that. We don't need to run training courses on, on how to sin against God or to sin against each other. We don't need to teach children to be sinful. No one needs to teach them to lie. In fact, we spend all of our time, don't we, teaching people to do the right thing. It's so hard for us to do because this sin, this rejection of God, this rebellion against God is wedded deeply into our nature. Uh, and we see that reality in our, in our own experience, day in, day out. We set out to be kind people and we end up being nasty or mean or, 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 or we set out to be patient and we end up being impatient. We set out to be generous and we end up being stingy. We set out to be evangelistic and we end up being silent. And maybe as you think about your life, you see that. Maybe you don't really need to, 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 to think too hard about that. That is, your sin is before you. Like David, everywhere you look, that's all you can see. It's like when you look at the sun, you know, and you, and you get that spot in your eye, and, and everywhere you look, that's all you can see. Maybe that's what your life is like. You look, and all you can see, wherever you look, is your, is your rejection of God. The things you've done wrong against Him, against others. Well, in many ways, that's a good place to be. It's not that seeing our sinfulness is seeing... Is understanding the gospel but it's it's the first step we need to recognize what our need is before God in order that we can accept the remedy so maybe you see uh, your sinfulness that's a great start on the other hand maybe you don't see it maybe you look at your life and you think well actually there's not really anything that wrong at all sure bad things happen but it's never your fault You know, you were tired, they got angry at you first, Uh, you know, they started it, they deserved it, you were just standing up for the truth and nobody else can see that. There's so many ways that we can justify ourselves, isn't there? so many ways that we can justify our sins, that's what David was doing until Nathan came to him and challenged him, the prophet Nathan. And then David did this, he didn't try and justify himself anymore, he didn't try and make excuses, he just said to God, Lord you know how deep this evil runs within me, you've got to do something. Well if you're making excuses for yourself then that's what you need to do, you need to do what David did and say to God, Lord there's no excuse, this evil runs deep within me. So first of all we need the psalm teaches us that we need to do that we need to recognize our rejection of God and that that rebellion runs deeply within us. Next thing that David does is he cries out for mercy. He knows his situation, now he cries out for help. David is utterly helpless. It's not a problem this sinfulness is not a problem that he can fix and so he cries out to God again and again he's he's crying out to God and saying God you've got to do it you've you've got to do it because I can't you've got to have mercy you've got to cleanse me you've got to hide my sins you've got to wash them away you've got to do it And you've got to do it not because I deserve it not because the last couple of weeks I've been doing better Not because I said sorry to Bathsheba. You've got to do it because of your unfailing love. There's nothing else. There's no other reason that I can ask you to do this for me. But your unfailing love. I don't deserve it. He cries out in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity he uses this language of blotting out it's a language of uh, if you like erasing something from a book what what David is asking if you like is for God to rub out the record of his wrongs from from God's book you know the kind of the mental picture is God's got a book in which he's written down you know all the things that we've done wrong are written down and David's saying you've got to rub that stuff out of the book you've got to blot it out We know uh, from bitter human experience that our relationships with other people can be tarnished, they can be uh, ruined and affected by the memory of the things that they've done against us or we've done against them. You know, we we, we try to relate well to somebody but there is just this mountain in the background which we, we can't shut out, the pain that they've caused us. It can be an enormous thing, sometimes it can just be a look, a few words and we just can't put it behind us, the hurt stays with us for a long time and for that relationship to be restored, the memory of that hurt needs to be dealt with, it needs to be put away, it needs to be blotted out and that's true in our human relationships. It's even more true in our relationship with God. God who never forgets. For our relationship with God to be restored, we need that book to be... all the lists of the things that we've done wrong in his book, we need them to be blotted out. But please understand too that the kind of forgiveness that God, that David is pleading for and that God offers us in Jesus is not the kind of blotting out you know, that happens in the movies, say, you know, where someone is a convicted criminal and so they, 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 uh, they hack into the, you know, the government mainframe and then they uh, and then they, they, they hack in and they, they delete the records, you know, so that nobody knows about it. But the trouble is, they live the rest of their life wondering, what if, what if there's another record somebody else, what if somebody remembers what's happened? That's not the kind of blotting out that david is talking about here where god just you know someone goes in and rubs it out before god notices and we just live the rest of our life hoping that god doesn't doesn't accidentally call it to mind the kind of blotting out that david is talking about is a blotting out where that sin is dealt with what god does in jesus is deals with the sin deals with the penalty of the sin the guilt of the sin so that he can rub it out in good conscience, so that he can justly rub it out. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, if we belong to him, his death has taken the penalty of our sins and our sin has been dealt with and it's put away and it's rubbed out. Often I think we live as though God remembers as if any moment God might Remember what it is that we've done. Maybe it's something that we did 20 years ago. Maybe it's something that we did yesterday. And we go on and on and on and on again. Lord, you've got to forgive me for that. And God says, what are you talking about? I don't remember that ever happening. It's been dealt with in Jesus. When we cry out to God, he forgives us, he covers our past, wipes it out and forgets. But second, David cries out also for cleansing. He cries out for forgiveness, he cries out for for cleansing. It's not enough just to be forgiven. He wants to be cleaned up so that he has a different future, so that he doesn't sin at all. Look at verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If forgiveness is about blotting out the record... Uh, if that's about the objective element of salvation, what's done for us on our behalf, then cleansing, if you like, is the subjective element. It's what God does within us. It's what God does in washing our inner nature. David wants not just to be forgiven, but changed. He was sinful at birth, sinful even from conception, but he knows that God desires faithfulness. And so he pleads with God to to produce that within him. He uses the language of the Old Testament, uh, the the cleansing rituals from Leviticus. He says, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Or verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What what David is doing is he's crying out for all those impurities that, that live deep within his heart to be cleaned up by God, to be washed away so that sin is no longer even a part of his life. He's not just content to be forgiven for the past, he wants a new future, a different kind of future. He wants a pure heart, he wants a steadfast and willing spirit... And that deeper prayer, that kind of second strand, if you like, of that prayer of David, not just to be forgiven but cleansed, that deeper prayer shows that he has understood the gospel. And when we pray that same prayer, it shows that we've really grasped hold of what the gospel is. You see, if all you ever want is just for the past to be put away so that you can keep on living the same life, then you haven't understood the gospel, Imagine if a husband was always getting angry with his wife. The solution to that sin in their marriage is not simply that when he gets angry, uh, he apologises and she forgives him, that's a good temporary solution. But the ultimate solution is that he be changed so that that doesn't happen in the first place. What's the great hope? Is the great hope hope to to, to live in, in a marriage where anger goes on and on forever and a day? Is the great hope for us to live in a world where sin just goes on and on and on and on and we keep having to be forgiven and forgiven and forgiven and forgiven? Is that the great hope of the gospel? No, the great hope of the gospel is that we're forgiven in Christ, reconciled to God, united with him by the Holy Spirit, and changed to be like Jesus. That's the great hope of the Gospel. That's the good news of the Gospel, that God not only sets us right with Him, but promises to clean us up for a new creation. And praying for God to do that, praying for God to work that out in our lives, shows that we've really grasped what He is offering us in the Gospel. It means we pray not just, Lord, forgive me for getting angry, but Lord, take anger away from me. It means we pray, not just, Lord, forgive me for eating too much, forgive me for indulging myself all the time, but Lord, help me to be responsible, help me to be self-controlled. It means we pray, not just, Lord, forgive me for being obsessed with my image, with what people think of me, but it means praying, Lord, help me to live with an awareness of who you have made me. It means we pray not just for forgiveness, for sexual impurity and immorality, but we pray, Lord, purify me, take that out of my life. It means we pray not just, forgive me for being afraid to share the gospel with my neighbour and my friend, but Lord, give me strength to do it and trust to do it and faith in you. So we need to start by recognising our sin that lives deep within us, we need to call out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for reconciliation with Him and from cleansing, for cleansing from all the sin that lives inside of us. Finally, David calls out for God to set him on a new direction. Look at verse 12, "'Restore to me,' he says, "'the joy of your salvation.'" Verse 14, "'Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness.'" Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. David isn't just interested in being cleansed from what's evil, but he wants to be filled with what's good. He prays for joy. He prays that God would open his mouth so that he can praise him. Forgiveness and cleansing, that kind of, if you like, the negative side of the gospel, are incomplete without joy and praise. And so often we we stop with just asking for God to, to forgive us and to cleanse us and to change our life, to take away all the bad stuff. But we haven't tasted the full wonder of forgiveness and God's gospel grace until we turn that forgiveness and cleansing into celebration of the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Every week we sing songs in church about forgiveness and what God has done, every single week. But how often is it that we sing those songs with a deep awareness of that truth? That doesn't mean that we have to come on Sunday being prepared to, to tell each other our deepest, darkest secrets and what God has, how God has forgiven us. But it does mean, I think, that when you taste God's grace on Tuesday, it means you store that up in your memory so that when you come on Sunday, you can declare God's praises to Him and to each other for what He has done. It means that on Tuesday, when God shows you grace, you commit to singing about it and telling others about it and expressing the wonder of what He's done. Imagine that. Imagine if every week we came on Sunday with a stockpile of joy accumulated through the week, through God's forgiveness and grace, and we just let it out and praised God and encouraged each other to look to the cross, to look to the resurrection of Jesus. David commits to praise But he also commits, in verse 12, to teaching others. Sorry, uh, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. It's not enough for him just to escape the deadly grip of sin for himself. He wants to teach others to do the same. He's experienced the, the grace of God, and he says, Lord... If you show me this mercy, then this is what I'll do. I'll I'll dedicate my life to to teaching others to do the same, to leave off sin for themselves and to pursue the grace of God in Jesus. Here's a question. When was the last time God forgave you and helped you to put away sin? When was the last time you experienced God's grace? And when was the last time you took that wonderful grace of God and you said, now I'm going to teach others to do the same? Now I'm going to teach others to receive that same grace. Again, like with praise, so often we stop with the the negative aspects of the gospel, if you like, the forgiveness and the cleansing what God has taken away. But we need to push on to praise God. And also to instruction, to calling people in the Gospel to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God, which provides forgiveness and cleansing for every evil. When you cry out to God this week for forgiveness, why not follow it up with a commitment to God, to teaching others to find the same grace in Jesus? You might like to think of a specific person that you know, who struggles with that same sin... Uh, you might not know someone who struggles with that same sin but 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 you can commit to teaching uh, someone of the grace of god it might be a husband or wife or child or brother or sister or friend or, or colleague but when you receive grace from god this week why not commit to sharing that grace with somebody else so david commits to praise he commits to instructing others finally He offers God a sacrifice. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The sacrifice that David offers to God is not the sacrifice of the animals commanded by the Old Testament law. David recognizes that they were just a picture, they were just a picture of what God would do in Jesus. God, was, uh, God never wanted just sacrifice. David recognises what God wants is obedience. God was never sitting in heaven thinking to himself, what I really want today is for another one of the animals that I have created and made to be slaughtered so that people might be forgiven. Every animal killed was a tragedy. What God wanted was not people to sin and then offer sacrifices. He wanted people to stop sinning. But the problem is, this side of eternity, that neither we nor David can offer that reality. We can't achieve that. We can't stop sin in our lives. It's something we need God to do in Jesus. Something that begins now, begins the moment we're united with Jesus. And it's something that ends the moment that Jesus returns and gathers his people to himself. But although David can't offer that perfection, what he can offer is humility and contrition. What he can offer is trust in God's goodness and mercy. Please understand that God isn't just interested in your words, Lord, please forgive me. What he wants is for us to hate sin more and more every day. He wants us to be broken and saddened by it and he wants us to put all our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if the words that you say to God uh, when you ask him to forgive you or change you or cleanse you, I wonder if those words are just words that you say because you know that you should. I wonder if those are just words that you say because... You know that you should, but really deep down you're hanging on to sin. You actually want to keep living in that same way. Please understand that the sacrifice that God wants is not those words, it's not the act of repentance and faith, it's not the act of bringing a sacrifice. What God wants is your heart. He wants you to want holiness. He wants you to want purity in life. And David says to God, That's what I want to give to you. I want to give you my heart, broken, humble, and trusting in your grace. I can't give you perfection, only you can give that to me. But I can give you my broken heart and I can give you my trust in your goodness. Well, you and I are all born into this world. We're trapped in a cave of sin. We're cut off from God, and only God can rescue us. And the way that we receive that rescue is by admitting to God that sin runs deeply within us. It's by crying out to God for the mercy of forgiveness and the cleansing of His Holy Spirit. It's by committing to God to live for his praise and his glory to the strength and power of the holy spirit let's pray dear lord and heavenly father we want to acknowledge before you right now that we are sinners through and through lord we're born into this world uh, with a deep-seated desire to reject you to live our own way and lord that runs through every moment of our lives Lord, even for those of us who've come to know your grace in Jesus Christ, we see the reality of sin day in and day out. Lord, we set our hearts to do things, we set our minds to, to live faithfully, uh, and it doesn't work. And Lord, sometimes sometimes we even set our hearts and our minds to live unfaithfully. So attracted and lured, are we, by the desires of the world and the sinfulness of our own heart. Lord, you know better than we do the pockets of sin that live deep down within us. And Lord, we acknowledge that to you openly this morning. And Lord, we plead for your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, for that full and free forgiveness, that blotting out of every transgression. And Lord, that cleansing that comes through the Holy Spirit as you unite us with Jesus. Lord, please... Don't just blot out the past. Don't just cover over the future. But Lord, change us to be people who are like the Lord Jesus Christ, people who live for your glory. And Lord, as we experience that grace today and as we experience that grace in the weeks and the years ahead, Lord, we ask that you would help us to turn that grace into praise and into a call to others to receive your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.